Once a year, America's wealthiest and most influential men descend on a collection of cabins in the lush forests of Northern California. They claim the retreat is a break from business, meant to recharge and relax their minds. But some people believe their true plans are something more sinister. Are these titans of politics and industry meeting to perform satanic rituals in an attempt to take over the world? Or is that even necessary since they already run it? This week's episode is Bohemian Grove. Up, bump in the night, your heart fills with dread. Probably a murderer who wants you dead. It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse. Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse. It's hopeless, you're doomed. You'd call a priest if you could. You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood. I'm gonna kill you. Happy 100th. I know, 100. Can you believe it? It's been in right at two years since we've been slinging the pod. Is that wow. what you call it? Yeah, we call Making it slinging the pod. I call it slinging the pod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, might as well. Slinging the well pod for two years now. Unbelievable. Thank you, everyone, that has been with us this entire Because a lot of people have been with us from the beginning. And that's Definitely. two years of y'all's life, too. Exactly. That we've, that exactly. we've been... In your ears for two years, so thank in you. In uh, in your car, on the train with you, in your bed, in your butt, maybe on the toilet. Mm-hmm. I don't know, in your butt, wherever. <laughs> I don't know where you put your phone when you listen to us, because I assume everybody uh, listens on a phone. Yeah, or their car, I guess. No, yeah, you can listen to your car, but it's still via a phone. That's but true. Yeah. That's true. Thanks for taking us with you. Uh, all the cool places you've been. People will send us pictures of them, like I'm on a mountain in Australia. I would love <laughs> to be so- on a mountain in Australia right now. Take me with you, please. Oh, geez, Louise. I'd also love to be where the topic of today's episode is because it is probably my favorite place on earth. Because you've been there. I have. Oh, I haven't been to Bohemian Grove yet. Bucket list. <laughs> bucket list item, everybody. We're going we're gonna to Alex Jones it. We're going to sneak in. <laughs> That's the only way we'd get in because no, yeah. uh, no one's going to invite us and women are allowed. I love Northern California, though, and and Mm -hmm. the Redwoods and Big Sur and everything. I actually, my new favorite thing is to look on Zillow and Redfin at million-dollar houses and just see what they look like. I don't know. I love to do that. I don't know why I do this, but I do it all the time in various cities. And last night, I was looking at Big Sur. Whoo, lordy. Nice stuff. One bed, one bath, $3 million. Jeez. I mean, you're you're paying for the the uh, surroundings by far. I mean, it's still yeah. a gorgeous home, but man, that scenery is next level. Love to be there right now. The uh, it's so the weather so nice. is so gorgeous, and just the trees, and it's a lovely part of our world. I like being isolated for a period. I'm an extrovert and I do like to be around people, but the idea of just going to a cabin for a week and just drinking coffee and reading and writing and walking around a forest sounds so choice. Oh, well, I I always thought I was an extrovert, but the older I get, I'm kind of an introvert who occasionally likes extroverted activities because mm-hmm. I prefer most of the time to be at home. Yeah. Do pe- does hanging out with people exhaust you or invigorate you? 
Good question. It would depend on the group of people and what we're mm-hmm. doing, I think. But, I mean, to go to DCH and do a show, that would invigorate me. That wouldn't mm-hmm. exhaust me. If I mean, most things I would say invigorate me that are fu- that are fun based activities. Yeah, but <laughs> I uh, like fun. I, I never said I don't like fun. Sometimes <laughs> I just like to do it by myself. But nice. um, but if I had to go to like um, well, I was going to say like a concert or something with a ton of people that might exhaust me. But honestly, no, it would invigorate me. Sometimes just the idea of going out is what exhausts me. But then once yeah. I get there, I'm fine. But I'm happy to, that it's happened. I have to motivate myself sometimes to like get to that point to want to do stuff. But to your point of you, the idea of being isolated in a forest sounds intriguing. I have been on a binge of a new show that Tommy and I are very obsessed with right now. What? It's called Alone. It's a survivalist show, as we all mm-hmm. know. I love those. And it's on the History Channel. Ten people who claim to be survival experts get dropped off in the one I just watched was the Arctic. Mm-hmm. There's no one with you, no cameraman. You, they, the crew gives you your own camera stuff, like Bear Girl style. So you have to film everything Damn. yourself. You're allowed to take ten items, and it's. Do you get to pick the items? In they advance? have. They have a list of forty that you can choose from. Oh, so it's not like physician's desk reference hollowed out. <laughs> no, inside. it's not like a trailer or yeah, yeah, uh, air conditioning. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, and it's just last person standing. Like, you, they literally go, and when someone drops out, so when they're dropped in the Arctic, it, they're all miles apart from each other, and it's impossible due to, like, water or terrain for them to get to each other. So they, you never see each other. You can't hear anybody else. You're completely alone and isolated. You don't know if someone else has tapped out. Okay. So you, have so you no, just have to last until they come and tell last, you. Yep, until the last person. Yep. Do you win a prize? You win. How much money? Uh, if I told you... The one that I just watched, the person was out there for 56 days in um, on Vancouver Island. It started off kind of decent weather, ended up in the winter, like like negative four degrees type winter. How long or if you had to stay out there 56 days by yourself, what's that worth to you? Do I have a sufficient clothing like boots and a jacket? Clothing does not count as part of what you have to take. So you can take that. But when I say you, like, they have to construct their entire shelter by themselves. They have to hunt and gather all their food. So they're setting. You can't take food. No, you're living off the land. They're killing animals. That is one thing that I was like, am I going to be able to watch this? Surprisingly, though, it doesn't affect me as much as you would think. They, because they... One guy shot a moose with a bow and skinned the whole damn thing. It showed the whole thing. It was crazy. That's yes. impressive. It, it was very impressive. So you have to completely live off the land and, and everything. Well, I would just like to tell you, first of all, I would die almost immediately. Same. I can't hunt. No. I'm not. Come on. No, no, no. But I would tap I out immediately. did last, I would say it would have to be like minimum $100,000. Oh, Okay. It's five hundred grand, and I think that, oh, you get five hundred G's, dude. For what they go through, though, to me, to me, I was like, I mean, it's a lot of money. And they go into the backstories of the participants and stuff, and most of them come from 
hardship and, and poverty and stuff throughout their lives. So it's especially a ton of money in, in that mm-hmm. situation. But for what they go through, it is not just the the weather and the animals and everything, but the mental and psychological toll it takes on you being completely isolated and by yourself for 50 plus days. Humans aren't designed to, to do that. Yeah. We're social creatures. It's crazy. But the I new- wonder if you like you start hearing stuff. Oh, they they sometimes they will hallucinate and wow. o- oftentimes it's because they fucked up and drank tainted water or something. But the new season that's coming out, they have to last a hundred days and they get a million. That wow. It's I, it's pretty it's it's pretty fascinating. You're dangling the carrot. So I have I have one for you. Would you last a hundred days for a million dollars alone? Or how much money would I have to pay you to spend two weeks with a bunch of old men <laughs> in the forest and they're all wasted with their pants probably off? Damn. That is a that's a Sophie's choice. I don't know. <laughs> that's a hard one. I I the Bohemian Grove and what goes on there, it, even if it's the best circumstances, sounds like a, a nightmare. Correct. Just a bunch of old drunk republican men idiots i mean pissing on trees and and (laughs) thinking they're the funniest people and the smartest people in the room having having to watch a sketch comedy show is one thing having to watch an old drunk man sketch comedy show (laughs) i would you i would pay you a million dollars not to have to do that although bohemian grove has milkshakes so that's true and i love milkshakes i love a good milkshake I would like to see this cremation of care ceremony to be a fly on the wall. I I would I would do that. I think to be a woman in this situation would legit be terrifying. Oh, for sure. And I think there is some footage of the creation, uh, the cremation of care, but it's just so blurry. It's blurry. But it's still creepy. Even the videos. I'm like, this is very like druid like or something Mm -hmm. in the deep south you'd stumble upon in a forest clearing that you don't want to walk up on. Turn around and leave yes, immediately. It's it's all very creepy, which is, I think, what it's intended to be. Most and definitely. therefore, a lot of people think the shrouded mystery that the Redwoods hold, it's more than just drunk men peeing and performing bad comedy. It's sinister <laughs> doings that lead our world into places maybe we don't even know. I mean, if you listen to Alex Jones... <laughs> I uh, tried to watch his documentary. I'm using quotes. Couldn't make it through it. He is such a blowhard idiot. And just screaming. Just yelling constantly. Your husband was my improv teacher in my level three class. And someone was screaming in the class. And Tommy Brown said, volume does not equal intensity. That's true. And like, give Alex Jones that note, please. (laughs) Because I would love to give Alex Jones some notes. Screams. He screams. screams. Yeah. I don't uh, like anyone third- that screams. I don't like that that guy that you like on Mad Money that screams all the time. Oh, either. Jim Cramer. I'm a big Cramer fan. I do love but Jim Cramer. But he screams all the time, too. He does scream a lot on his show. I like him on the daytime CNBC shows, the like Squawk on the Street and stuff. He's more subdued. subdued. Demure. It's early in the morning. He hadn't gotten riled up. <laughs> well, I don't think Alex Jones. I think he has one setting, and it's just scream. That's all he knows to do. He's never demure. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Well, this week's episode, our 100th, comes from a Patreon suggestion, Lacey Hubert. Thank you so much for this. This has been on our list for a while. And then in the Facebook Patreon group, 
she posted an article about about it and was like, do you guys know about this? And it kind of reminded us like, oh, yeah, that would be a good one to do. So thank you, Lacey. We appreciate the suggestion. Well, I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get into it. Bohemian Grove, classified as a restricted campground in California's Sonoma County, is comprised of 2,700 acres of redwood forest, located about an hour and 40 minutes north of San Francisco. Professor G. William Domhoff of UC Santa Cruz, who has written extensively on the subject, calls the owners of the grove, known as the Bohemian Club, an Elks Club for the rich, a fraternity party in the woods, a Boy Scout camp for old guys complete with an initiation ceremony and a totem animal, the owl. In its own literature, the camp describes itself as an association of men devoted to literature, art, music, and the drama. The drama. <laughs> the drama. Which which kind <laughs> of makes it sound like they just really like drama, like, <laughs> like teenage girls. You won't believe? <laughs> Listen, Ronald, you will not believe what Richard said about you. Yes. What did Nixon say about me? I imagine it's just very, like, mean girl style. Yes. <laughs> On Wednesdays, we wear suit, Ronald. <laughs> Founded in 1872. The private all-male club is located about a half a mile off a main road in a small California town called Monte Rio. Membership is a cool 25 grand to initially join and is by invitation only. The camp's cabins and dining hall lie behind signs that read private property, members and guests only. Before getting into the camp, members and guests must sign in, have their identification scrutinized, and must wear their ID badges at all times. According to journalist Rick Clogger, who wrote a piece in Mother Jones after he went undercover at the club in 1981. For a super secret society, it has been infiltrated multiple times. How are, how are you going to, and after 9-11, security was beefed up significantly around mm -hmm. this place. It's 2,700 acres. You can't have guards at every little post around all that. I mean, you know, mm -mm. somebody can sneak in a, a fence or climb a tree and hop over something. And everybody knows when you're hiding in the forest, you wait for a large gathering and then you kind of That's how you get in. in. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. I mean, with with a couple thousand old men there, what's one more? Plus, they're all wasted. Yeah. Yep. Bohemian Grove's creators, Henry Harry Edwards, a stage actor, founded the club along with several journalists who wrote for the San Francisco Examiner. When Edwards moved to New York to pursue a career in acting, he left the club to its remaining members. Six years after the initial founding, the annual meetings among the redwood trees began. Called an exclusive gathering of rich white men with plenty of power by Encyclopedia Britannica, the 16-day encampment that takes place at the Grove supposedly involves mostly drinking and goofing off. There are two gatherings, one in June known as Spring Jinx and a main encampment that occurs in July. So this is a great big uh, campsite you got that you really only use for about three or four weeks out of the year. That you pay $25,000 to be able to use, to go to. I mean, I guess you can rent it out with your family and stuff when it's not being used for these encampments. But still, twenty five grand. I mean, but that's pocket change to these, these people. These people are bajillionaires. Yeah, I was going to say you could probably get like a timeshare somewhere mm -hmm. for that. But don't, that's, don't, don't get a timeshare. <laughs> They never let you out of them. No. Nope. Time stands still in a timeshare. <laughs> In 
Within the main camp are many camps to which Grovers are assigned upon approval of their membership. These camps have individual names and are basically like cabins or bunks where clusters of attendees stay together. According to Mother Jones, some of the more elite cabins filled with the upper echelon of the Grovers are named Mandalay, Cavemans, Hillbillies, and Owl's Nest. These are where the presidents stay, as well as high-ranking political figures and titans of industry like major company CEOs. Each cabin is large and spacious and contains its own bar and lounge area. Well, it sounds lovely. It's almost like um, the sorting hat when you get mm-hmm. into Hogwarts. They sort you. Hillbillies is where the Bushes stay. George H.W. formerly, you know, now he's passed away. But George W. Bush and Jeb and all them stay in the hillbilly cabin. And then you just get sorted, I think, by people they think you would get along with. And then there's some other loser cabins that we did not list where the presidents <laughs> don't stay. Or did you go to camp as a kid? I went to a uh, Christian camp one summer because I was trying to fit in with the cool Baptist kids. And it did not go well for me. I got in a huge fight because the electricity in the girls' cabin kept going out because everyone, this was back when straightened hair was a big thing. Oh, yeah. Everyone would plug their straighteners and hair dryers in at the same time, and the electricity would go out. So I proposed, God, what a loser. I proposed a schedule where we all signed up well, for a time Well, here's why slot. you got into a fight with these kids. Because you're trying to <laughs> propose a schedule to a bunch of 12-year-old girls. They basically told me to go fuck myself in Christian language. Uh, they were like, uh, God be with you, but yeah. you should leave. Bless your so heart. So I got pissed off and i took my straightener and i just took off walking and i found an empty um it was like a meeting hall somehow and i just went in and plugged my straightener and i was straightening my hair and a janitor walked in and he's like what are you doing i said the girls keep blowing the power and he was like smart kid oh (laughs) didn't even kick you out no he was very nice but i did not do well at camp because i was annoyed at their inefficiencies and conveyed as much and they did not uh appreciate my so this was a sleepaway camp this was, yes, a Christian sleepaway camp for like maybe two weeks. It wasn't Oh, that's super a long. long time. To me, that's yeah. long. I went to camp. I went to Pine Cove, which I think is still in existence, if any of you have been or your kids it now go. sounds elite. <laughs> well, it reminds me of – it does not remind me of Bohemian Grove because none of the stuff that goes on there <laughs> goes – although there were some plays, and it was amongst the piney trees in East Texas. But you got assigned to – cabins within it and then the your what are they called the pe- the the adults that stay in the cabin with you camp, like, counselor oh. camp mm-hmm. counselor uh they all had different like fun names so the first year i was like in snow white's cabin like, oh, like the so, counselor was yeah the they, name, actually they all jessica them, yes but they we call them like snow white or they would have like silly names and stuff yeah ah. i think i stayed for a week but i went several times and then i also went to a baptist camp how funny nice. would it have been if it was the same one if we weren't 10 <laughs> years apart or not quite eight years apart and um that was i think it was just a long weekend that i stayed there okay but i was always just there for the boys I wasn't trying See, to propose schedules. I was just like, there are cute boys here. <laughs> I don't care who we're praying to because everyone, because there's cute, cute guys. <laughs> Handsome campers. Well, I was very worried about getting murdered. So I picked the top bunk in the furthest corner from the entryway. And I was like, there's like 10 more girls. They're going to oh, murder. Yeah. But you'll have all to the see other. all the murders and then live with that. So I can, I have time to, but I would have time to plot my escape. That was the That's more important true. thing. And you would have looked great doing it because you're the only one with straightened hair. <laughs> So good for you. 
<laughs> All the lights are out in the damn cabin. <laughs> That's how we get killed. Although the retreat is attended by important businessmen and leaders, the camp has an important rule. The camp's mantra, taken from Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, is Weaving spiders come not here. This means, no matter what, real-world deals should not be made at camp, as camp is designed to be a carefree place with no work or worries. When the camp isn't occupied the rest of the year between retreats, members can use the Grove grounds for whatever purposes they want. This is just like real summer camp. It's not for real life. It's only camp. It doesn't count. Although members can invite guests to visit the campgrounds and can even bring their entourages to attend the encampment, it's not that easy to become a member of the Bohemian Club. In order to join, you must be nominated by two current members who will vouch for your character and describe the qualities that will make you a, quote, good Bohemian. You then must pay a $25,000 initiation fee and keep up with the $5,000 annual dues. There is a waiting list, and some members have reported it taking up to 15 years for them to get off the waiting list, despite being nominated and voted into membership. It's very exclusive. It's very exclusive, and a lot of it's passed down through generations where you're great great-grandfather and grandfather and father and then it's you and everything so it's it's kind of like um a fraternity in that sense mm-hmm. where you're kind you're of like, like a grandfathered in as a legacy yes it also helps if one fits the demographic of rich white conservative and male as women are not allowed to join and have only recently been allowed as guests although rules state that they must leave by 10 p.m And while every Republican president since the club's inception has been invited to camp, according to the Bold Italic magazine, Donald Trump has never even received an invite. Well, everyone has their limits. You know, even even druids that uh, worship giant owl statues in the forest have a line (laughs) that they're not going to cross. I don't know that he would have a nice time here because he's basically called all the people that are here a bunch of assholes and that they're in a swamp. And also, there's really not golfing. It's more hiking. And I mean, he probably likes milkshakes, but I don't know that he's (laughs) going to memorize his lines to be in a play. No, no. He's going to insist on a lot of rewrites. He's (laughs) going to be a real diva to work with. He's going to demand his own camp. I'm going to do a one-man show. Like, that's not how this works. No, no, no. I got it. It's going to be great. The membership numbers of the Bohemian Club has grown to nearly 2,500 over the past 100 years. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, some famous members have included Clint Eastwood, Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite, Ronald Reagan, Charles Schwab, Mark Twain, and Jack London. According to Vanity Fair, other famous members include Theodore Roosevelt, David and Nelson Rockefeller, Carl Rove, Donald Rumsfeld, Dick Cheney, and both President George H.W. Bush as well as George W. Bush. And Jeb. And Jeb, who threw a fit because he couldn't get a milkshake when the pastry <laughs> chefs were trying to prepare everybody's food. You know, he was shit face. We've all been there, oh, man. Yeah, you go into man. the McDonald's and they're like, the milkshake machine's broken. And you're like, all right, do you know who I am? I'll come across like, this you're counter. Drunk right now. <laughs> man. Something's weird about that list. Oh, I know what it is. No one is not white. Correct. There's like... Yowzers. I was scouring lists because you can't really find a list of all members. You can just find like leaked lists. And I think one former president of the Philippines was the only non-white person I could find. Yeah. Sometimes they would have people of color entertain them. 
Correct. As, or, as they are want to do as, as old rich white men, but... Or just sing their songs, but not invite them. Yeah, yeah. With so many presidential figures in attendance, one has to wonder how many closed-door meetings have taken place that have directly influenced the world as we know it. In fact, in Clogger's article for Mother Jones, he alleges that it was at Bohemian Grove, where Ronald Reagan and Richard Nixon met privately in 1967. During this meeting, Reagan supposedly agreed to let Nixon go after the Republican presidential nomination unchallenged. According to author Mike Hansen, Both Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan said they become president because of the Bohemian Club. Well, this may explain why a woman has never been president, because they're not allowed at this giant camp. At the big secret ceremony. If only Hillary had been invited to this, perhaps the world would be different right now. She should have snuck in. You get the Groucho Marx glasses yep. and the mustache. And she's like, well, I have a friend who would be a great president. That's <laughs> all so you have to trick yep. him. You do. You have to trick him. It's not hard. They're all elderly and drunk. Come through with a milkshake. They'll do anything you want. <laughs> Bill Clinton was once asked about the Bohemian Club during a press conference. He replied, the Bohemian Club, that's where all those rich Republicans go up and stand naked against redwood trees. This description is oddly accurate, as urinating on the towering redwoods has become a rite of passage. Journalist Philip Weiss, who managed to score an invite in 1989, said, You know you're inside the Bohemian Grove when you come down a trail in the woods and hear piano music from amid a group of tents, and then around a bend you see a man with a beer in one hand and his penis in the other hand urinating into the bushes. What is it about... Nature and men, they just have to piss everywhere. I don't, it's like I used to have a cat that we got. My sister found him outside of a movie theater after watching the Super Mario Brothers live action movie. And we didn't know that it was a boy cat until it got a little like old enough and it would just spray Mm, everywhere. And it's just like territorial, evolutionary, grunting, Mm -hmm. animalistic, like I'm gonna piss on that tree. Yeah. I just feel like it's that marking your spot. Also, honestly, it's probably fun. Yeah. I mean, when I went to the Women's March in D.C. in 2016, or I guess it was 2017, I I took with me what is called a shiwi. You got a shiwi? (laughs) I still have it. I have a shiwi. No way! Because... All the research and everything and all the friends that I went with, they're like, we're not going to be able to go to the bathroom. It's going to be packed. It's going to take hours to get to a porter potty. We got to get a shiwi. So in, for those of you who don't know, a shiwi is a plastic contraption that you essentially, for a woman, put on your lady parts. And it acts as a, a plastic um, penis, if you will. Yeah, a, a upward funnel. funnel. A, a upward funnel, if you will. So I never had to use it during the march. But later that night, after I'd had a few out in D.C., I was like, (laughs) I want to see if this works. So I went onto a playground (laughs) behind a tree (laughs) and I used the shiwi. And it was so hard. It's so unnatural to stand up and pee Mm -hmm. that it took me a long time to be able to, like, convince my body to, like, relax and do it. Mm -hmm. But when when it finally happened, it does work. So long story short, the shiwi does work. I will endorse this product. Uh, we I knew about it because uh, one of my friends who was a boat captain, she talked about having one. It was hard to pee on the boats. And I think she was going to take it to Lollapalooza, honestly. But uh, that's where I had first heard about it. And then I saw a airplane version where if you're flying in a small air, like a general aviation aircraft and there's not a bathroom on board, 
there is a it looks like what would be an oxygen mask for your face, but it is for your genitalia. And then it's attached to a tube, which is attached to a bag. So you're just flying the airplane and you kind of slip it in there, do what you got to do and then seal it off. That's got to take some practice. It's hard <laughs> for me to do two things at once. I don't think I could be driving and be like, all right, I'm going to be able to pee now. And like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I got to I don't I guess if you if you got to go, you got to go. But if you can get the plane going like straight and level, you have it's almost like it's even steadier than a car. As long as like the engine speed, nothing like drops, you'll just keep going straight. And there's less run, to run into, I imagine. Correct. Yes. In the sky yeah. than on a on a road. Yes. You got to watch out for them goose. <laughs> the founders used the term bohemian to invoke feelings of a cultured intellectual rather than a more free-spirited and hippie type of bohemian. Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde allegedly visited the camp and remarked, I never saw so many well-dressed, well-fed, business-looking bohemians in my life. The owl was chosen as a symbol representing wisdom. The patron saint of the club is John of Napamuk who died at the hands of a monarch rather than reveal the secrets of a queen. The club has chosen to put a carving of St. John at the shore of the lake, carved with the saint's hand to his lips, shushing members and reminding them of their oath of secrecy. I'm not here to judge anybody's secret club. However, actually I am. That's exactly why I'm here. Your title is Bohemian Club, and that evokes a certain sense of free spirit, etc. And yet you're implementing all of these ritualistic kind of druid, like you call it, like druid 16th century kind of stuff. Pick a lane, man. You can't be like, we're going to have a fun. It's a bar. It's going to be called Halloween Town. Everyone's going to dress in Victorian clothes. And it's and it's only going to you know, we're only going to play polka music. You're like, like, this is confusing. None of this says Halloween Town. I want Halloween Town. Where are the pumpkins? Uh, so, you know, your title and theme, and then you start to, it becomes a bit of a hodgepodge. I think it started off with the intention to be more artistic and have poets and playwrights and musicians and artists and everything. And then, like everything in the world, a bunch <laughs> of rich uh, white men came in and took it over and <laughs> made it their pissed. own. They pissed all over the place. Yeah, literally pissed all over the place. So they still have these... And, like, Steve Miller is a a member, and a couple members of the Grateful Dead are members and stuff. Apparently, they fast-track artists and musicians because they want it to seem like this is a cool place to be. Mm. But they're just there to basically entertain all of them. Let let the cool guys in. The cool guys are like, can we have our own camp separate (laughs) from you nerds? So what exactly goes on during these exclusive meetings? Vanity Fair obtained and published an itinerary for the 2008 encampment. According to this itinerary and other reports, a ceremony called the Cremation of Care kicks off the week. The itinerary invites members to the ceremony, which became part of the camp in 1881, saying, Come join us as we raise the battle banners in the name of beauty, truth, peace, and fellowship. Oh, beauty's vassals, let us together seek the counsel of the great owl of Bohemia so that we may rediscover the wisdom needed to banish dull care once again. They're very dramatic. Very dramatic. They love the drama. They do. The secret footage of the cremation of care ceremony shows a parade of men in red linen robes, wielding torches and walking in a line toward the bank of a nearby lake. They carry a wooden coffin with them. Inside the coffin, according to Professor Domhoff, 
is a body, a human body, real enough to be lifelike at a glance, but only an imitation, made of black muslin, wrapped around a wooden skeleton. This is the body of care, symbolizing the concerns and woe that important men supposedly must bear in their daily lives. Again, dramatic. And again, the concerns and woes these men must bear compared to reality <laughs> gotta be different. Gotta you be know? some different concerns and woes. They're like, my life is really hard, you guys. <laughs> I only have $8 million in my bank account and three summer homes. <laughs> Upon making their way to the lake, the parade of men stopped beneath an enormous cement owl statue built in 1929 by two-time Bahamian club president and famed sculptor Haig Patigian. The moss-covered statue is hollow and stands at 30 feet high, comprised of a steel internal skeleton covered in cement. Electrical and audio equipment are contained within the owl so that it can participate in the ceremony. For many years, club member and famed journalist Walter Cronkite's voice would play through as the voice of the owl. While this is going on, spear carriers stand on the side of the lake, croaking out their chant of Cremation, 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 which Professor Domhoff likens to the Budweiser frogs. After more pomp and circumstance, the coffin is eventually lit on fire, symbolizing the extinguishment of dull care for the rich and powerful grovers, at least during their time at camp. The descriptions of this are always, apparently the outsiders are always told by the grovers or the bohemians, you will not believe what you're about to see. You're going to crap your pants. This it's is going to knock your socks off. You're not going to believe it. And the people that watch it are like, is there a speaker inside of the <laughs> owl? And they're like, yeah, isn't it cool? And they're like, no, it's not. I have a suggestion on how to really take the Bohemian Grove to the next level. What's that? We replace the owl with big no. text. Yeah. <laughs> Howdy, folks. Extinguish your cares below me. <laughs> Although, don't get any fire near him. We, no. We're going to have to get that, that coffin on the other side of the lake or something. No we don't burning. want fire near him. No. Drown the coffin. Just drown it. Don't No they fire. They set no. it on fire like a Viking's funeral and then push it yes. out across the lake, which mm -hmm. I'm sure is very dramatic and and amongst, you know, the the back litness of the redwood trees and the in the pitch black forest is very cool and everything but also it sounds kind of lame and weird and i think i would just stand there being like what the fuck am i watching right now this is so this stupid you're like this is stupid and did someone just piss on my foot <laughs> yes someone did just a hundred percent they did yeah i yeah. thought you were gonna say to take it to the next level have it sponsored by budweiser <laughs> also Man, did did those frogs go away? They're still, I mean, they're not still used. When did I see they them should recently? Be. I was watching, I was watching something Super on Bowl? YouTube. I, I feel like the Super Bowl is where all that shit comes back up. They come back. I was uh, watching old episodes of the X-Files. Oh, <laughs> That's man. That's I've been watching. So good. I think it's streaming. I don't think you have to go to YouTube yeah. for that. Oh, you're no, watching it's on uh, Hulu. Yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. we've been watching old. I'm surprised old, uh, you can, you can watch those. Um, I told Paris he has to pre-screen them, like he has to read the description of them and make sure I won't have nightmares, because that one episode that I still think about. The hillbilly one? Me. Yes, it still upsets me. So we watched a vampire episode, and then we watched a psychic episode with Peter Boyle, who I love so much. One of the episodes that has stuck with me 
over all the years is the very first episode of season oh. one. Have okay, you seen I'll it? I'll have to go back. I won't, no, I won't talk about it in case you haven't, but no, I was thinking about it. that the other day, though. X-Files is so good. It actually is very, it's, it's very, very excellent. Good. Yeah. The storytelling is fantastic. It's creepy. Well, each day at around noon, members are invited to the lake to enjoy lakeside talks. The talks are presented by intellectuals, politicians, and experts and cover heavier topics. Past lakeside speakers have included Presidents Dwight Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, and Herbert Hoover, astronaut Neil Armstrong, and engineer Werner von Braun, a leading figure in the development of rocket technology in Nazi Germany and a pioneer of rocket and space technology in the United States. He was one of the ones that there were some scientists that were doing some nefarious Nazi things. And then in Project Paperclip, the U.S. was like, stop Naziing. Yeah. And just do science here and we will not throw you in jail. Yes. And they were like, that sounds good to us. There was also another supposed Nazi who was a Grover that was, by all accounts, very charming and very nice to people. And he would drive around the camp with a giant swastika sticker on the back of his car. And then they were finally like, you've got to take that off. We can't yeah, have this here. You got to peel, peel it off, off man. Peel it off. Be cool. One of these talks in 1981 was from Dr. Edward Teller, who Mother Jones magazine called the unrepentant father of the H-bomb. Dr. Teller had spoken the year before with then-current presidential cabinet members in attendance. By the next year's encampment, Teller's ideas about nuclear power and Soviet threats were already being implemented. It is also said that a Bohemian Grove in 1942 Dr. Teller planned the Manhattan Project, the research and development undertaking during World War II that produced the first nuclear weapons. A lot of these lakeside talks will be uh, on things like nuclear weapons or on things like international relations. And they it's a way for intellectuals to kind of get in the ear of the president. Absolutely. Yeah. And so much for... We don't do any real world work here. You're playing mm -hmm. on the freaking nuclear bombs. Think yeah, that they're like, we're just oopsie. learning. It's just learning. It's informational. And the information then gets stuck in the president's head and he goes and makes decisions. Absolutely. As the festivities carry on into the night, there is often live music under the stars to keep the party going and the drinks flowing. Past entertainment has included performances by Sam Cooke and notable Grove member Steve Miller. The Grovers also attend and participate in bizarre staged plays, an integral part of the Bohemian Club's yearly encampment. In 1989, spy magazine writer Philip Weiss snuck in the camp and got a peek at what the Grovers were producing. The members staged two plays throughout the week. The Grove play, a.k.a. the hijinks, is the more highbrow of the performances and costs up to $100,000 to produce. Professor Domhoff described these plays as Grandiose, operatic-like extravaganza. In past years, the hijinks has also consisted of members reciting poems and a celebration of the triumph of Christianity over paganism. They just kind of, I think they get 100 Gs and they go, what do we want to talk about this year, boys? Can I get a location that fits on this stage? <laughs> the triumph of Christianity over paganism. When the lights come up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In addition to the better quality plays, the club also stages what is called the low jinx. In his article, Weiss called the humor, Not just lame, but circa 1950s college follies lame. While this humor would appeal to 11-year-olds, even that lowbrow production cost an annual $75,000 to produce. 
honestly, just reading about these, it makes me so uncomfortable, cringy. They it's were just, bad. Oh, it's just the idea of these people. I mean, it's a, I guess it's a safe space for them to create their art. But it's so embarrassingly bad. And you know they think they're good. And... It's I'm going to I'm not going to say it's not offensive too. I think they they use this as an opportunity to um uh make some off-color jokes that maybe oh, one sh- might not make uh in a business meeting, but this is Bohemian Grove, no rules, just right. And <laughs> and all costs are off and you can make any joke you want at 75 grand a pop. There's also a surprisingly amount of cross-dressing. Like, yeah. All the pictures they, I mean, and not just, I mean, they would go all out, wigs, full costumes, makeup and everything. I think, and we'll get into, there are a lot of um, stories of homosexual behavior happening amongst these powerful men and everything. I think it is a way for men that have these um, pent up desires all the rest of the year like this is literally i used to call it when when i back in my partying days i'd be like this is a no rules weekend and damn (laughs) sounds intense but like i used to smoke so but then i quit smoking but if i was having a no rules weekend i'd be like this weekend is no rules weekend i can smoke if i want to if i was like at the lake or on a trip or something like that Mm -hmm. this is a straight up no rules encampment for these guys anything goes what happens at the grove stays at the grove that's true. And I think if they, they're like a spring, you know, they're spring loaded all year. They're all clamped up and conservative and tightened in their little mm-hmm. suits and they get out and they're like, you know what? I'm going to make some effing jokes. I'm doing it. Today's <laughs> this weekend is the weekend. I'm, I'm going to dress like, like a lady and I'm going to piss on someone's shoe and I'm going to make <laughs> some jokes. That's how I'm spending my time at the Grove. That's what the Grove is for. A former employee who worked with the theater production spoke to Sophie Weiner author of a piece for Gawker, saying, It was some of the worst theater I've ever seen. He went on to say, Sometimes it's a stage designer that's able to make an entire set from pieces of garbage, and then some guy shows up who's never done lights before, so he just makes everything pink. And then there's a guy who's on his fifth glass of wine and reading off a script, and they're all on the same stage together. Who amongst us hasn't been in this type of show, though? I mean... (laughs) This is just... (laughs) The 11 o'clock slot. Yeah, this is beginning improv right here. (laughs) Someone's on their fifth glass of wine. (laughs) Just everybody, nobody knows what the fuck's going on. You're off script. (laughs) Everything's loose. A more unsavory form of nighttime fun is known as jumping the river. This is not a literal, but a figurative jump across the river and into town to find some female companionship. Professor Domhoff also described incidents of residents of Monte Rio providing sex workers to the inhabitants of the camp with journalist Rick Clogger estimating around 10% of the men in attendance partaking. I think it's not as per uh, what's pervasive as one would think, but there is a uh, small chunk of the camp that this is one of the reasons why they go. Absolutely. I think that it makes total sense that sex workers of uh, all genders and possibly even underage are carted in to satisfy these men's wants. Well, I would hope not the underage. I think if everyone's above board and you want to do it, make some money off the old, uh, you know, Richie's. But I think the sheriff there was and I didn't really you know, we didn't really want to get too far into it. But there was an issue with 
obviously it's California and solicitation is not legal. So there was some issue with it that they got caught. There was a person providing the sex workers. And so hopefully if they are, it's all above board and insofar as everyone's safe and hopefully of age. But fortunately, there are rumors of young boys and girls being taken there to let the men kind of have their way with them. I think also a lot of them are doing it with each other. Oh, for sure. And I I just think this, which is, I mean, you know. Go for you it. Get, you know what? I'm not it. here to shame. Do it. But I think that's I, one reason it's not, there's a, there's a small percentage of the men that are participating in sex workers coming in. It's because they kind of just want to get their jollies off with their with each uh, other. cabin mates. Yeah. Honestly, regarding the underage people, though, think about it. If you're a sheriff in a town and there's some sort of report that that's going on and you try to get in and investigate and it's a bunch of presidents and a bunch of secret service and you say well i just need to go in and uh see if there's any uh thing bad going on the secret service is gonna be like go fuck yourself yeah no, no. you're not first of all no and there's just no way you would be able to police that that's I think horrifying of all the places on the planet where illegal things could go on and nothing's gonna come of it it's the Bohemian Grove. Where there's a lot of uh, presidents that can, I mean, you have carte blanche. And the most influential people in the world mm-hmm. all together. Just money. Mean, yeah, there's tons of Secret Service and and National Guard and everything around uh, uh, acting as security when these encampments go on because there's protesters that show up and people trying mm-hmm. to sneak in and everything like that. Yeah, it takes one person with a, a freaking AK to go in there and take out half of our world's leaders. True. Of course, the, the security is going to be insane. And also, again, what happens at the Grove stays at the Grove. Mm-hmm. And weaving spiders need not apply or whatever they're saying is. <laughs> That's what we're changing it to. <laughs> Issues surrounding the treatment of women have been present since the club began. Women have never been granted full membership and only recently have been allowed to attend as guests, as long as they abide by the female-only curfew. In addition to not being allowed to partake in the festivities, women were not always permitted to even work at the Grove as employers of caterers or other hospitality services. In 1979, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing charged the club with discrimination for its refusal to hire female employees. When the case was initially heard by an administrative law judge, or ALJ, a special judge appointed to oversee cases brought by governmental agencies, the club was allowed to continue its practices. As reported in the New York Times, the 1981 decision by the ALJ said that while the club did in fact discriminate against women, it had a, quote, legitimate defense to that practice. The ALJ expressed concern that the presence of women would alter the behavior of the members who were known to frequently urinate in the open without even the use of rudimentary toilet facilities. These poor, fragile women. God forbid they see a a man pee. And these poor men, God forbid they use a damn toilet yeah. or a bucket even. Go yeah. d- just fashion, you know, at Old Navy where they have the actual dressing yep. rooms and then just in the middle of the store, the little curtains. Yep. You could just do a couple of those and a bucket in there. You'd be do fine. Do a curtain and a bucket. Yeah. Old Navy style. However, several months later, the appeal was heard by a six person panel called the Fair Employment and Housing Commission. According to the New York Times, five of those six members voted that the club had not legally justified its refusal to hire women. The club was then ordered to start recruiting and hiring women employees. However, since this complaint was brought before the Employment Commission, the question of whether the club had to grant women actual membership was not an issue. 
You can work for us, but you can't be one of us. Make my milkshakes and don't come to my play. But the cabal of powerful men were not satisfied with this decision. Instead, they took it all the way to the California Supreme Court. In November of 1986, the club tried arguing before the California Court of Appeals that its First Amendment rights to free association and privacy were a defense to its refusal to hire women. The Court of Appeals didn't buy the argument and held that their defense was not sufficient, stating, It is difficult to understand how, for example, the presence of women cooks or food servers would inhibit realization of the club's purposes. The California Supreme Court declined to review the case, meaning the appellate decision stood. I mean, that's a good point. It's one thing if they were trying to force them to allow membership because that's something that's been litigated, you know, freedom of association and, you know, do you have to allow women in certain clubs? But the fact that they just want to work there for and I mean, we all, you know, we have the reviews of what it's like to work there. It's not like it's the best job ever. But if you're in this small town and that's something that can be a lucrative job for you, you shouldn't be denied access for absent a legitimate purpose. They tried to do like the Hooters defense where, mm-hmm. well, being a, a woman is, you know, a busty woman is part of our, you know, experience, which Hooters won. But that's not true here. The Bohemian Grove, the whole thing is not that it's a men's only retreat. It happens to be a men's only club, but complete absence of women is not part of their rules. And what a ton of work that they went to to get women not a part of this. And you got uh, to really not want women to have anything to do with this to go to those links. Mm-hmm. And, and spend and, that money and time. Yeah. And Monte Rio, despite this being like a billionaire's boy club, is kind of a poor town that it's kind mm-hmm. of been decimated by opioid use and everything. So people, like you said, it's a small town. They're looking for some type of job. College kids trying to find summer work or whatever. It's just ridiculous that they would say that they would even try and argue this. But mm-hmm. again, is it because they argue stuff all their all the time and get whatever they want because of who they are? So it's crazy to them to think that they wouldn't they would even have to go to these links to not get what they want. And when you have the generational issue, you know, you have these people that are in there that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and they're like, women shouldn't be allowed to vote. Mm -hmm. What do you mean they're going to come into our club? You know, they have these ideas in their heads that are super archaic. And like you said, they're throwing a tantrum. Mm -hmm. They want to get their way and they're going to get their way. They didn't, though. With this loss, the club was forced to open hiring practices to female employees. However, what seemed like a win was nothing more than lip service. Jobs for women on the camp's grounds were restricted to the dining circle and valet parking. According to an employee, Sophie Weiner, those were the lowest paying jobs. She also reported there was a literal red line on the ground that marked the spot behind which women employees had to remain. Yeah. That's when you... Uh, can't you can you file a lawsuit? I mean, they let you work there. Yeah, but clearly there's uh discrimination and practices of inequality and i mean what if that was a line that said uh people of color you can't cross here i think it would have to then well the question is is the things that go on behind the line outside of the job description that you have so if you're hired to be a cook or a valet parker or whatever, and the line keeps you from going into their cabin or bedroom or their playhouse where they're going to do their little plays, is that something that 
goes into then it starts to go into this is a fundamental part of our group and the group is a men's retreat and that's what and that's never been challenged so it's if they argued that i don't think that you could say they discriminate on the basis of color although that's a great question i but shouldn't if that's the case shouldn't it say valet workers cooks whatever don't cross this line why is it specific to women when there are also men valet and men cooks that that's not applying to and i think that is their their argument is that women specifically must be uh kept from their whatever their club practices their hijinks their their jinx the jinx are too private you can't let the ladies see your jinx but I think it's uh, bullshit. I think we'll get into what our, what we really think the insidiousness here is, which is this kind of inclusive, uh, insulated thing that that is meant to keep um, uh, marginalized people out. Mm-hmm. And there's a literal red line that marks it. Mm-hmm. Women are not the only ones excluded from the camp. Rick Clogger, who went undercover at the camp for Mother Jones, wrote, Black and brown faces, incidentally, are almost totally absent among Grove members. According to his sources, the only non-white member at the time of publication in 1981 was Carlos Romulo, the former president of the Philippines. Yeah, and I searched uh, as much as I could to try to find if there were other... I didn't non- see one non-white name in everything I read and watched. So if you all know of one, if you get the inside scoop on the Grove, let us know. But how uncomfortable, too, if you're Carlos Romulo... You're like, oh, my God, am I going yeah. to Jesus? I don't you know, like I, that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. And let's hope maybe if he's a president, then he has a, his own secret service, at least some people to watch. his back. That's true. Yeah, otherwise, it just would be uncomfortable. While it is clear that real world problems of sexism, racism and inequality persist at the Grove, there are some that believe the practices that go on there are far more sinister. One such person is radio and Internet personality and general madman Alex Jones, who claims the Bohemian Grove is the place for the New World Order to exert power over the world. He's got a lot of theories. They're all trash. Yep, that is true. But my question is, with a person like this, it's like, I wonder if it's not a broken clock situation where if he yells out 50 insane things and one happens to be right. Yep. It's like like the boy who cried wolf. Yeah, I mean, it's not that he's some genius or that he's got his finger on the pulse. He's just got a lot of ideas, and maybe one of them happens to be correct. Yep. British journalist and author of The Men Who Stare at Goats, John Ronson, attended Bohemian Grove with Alex Jones and another writer, Mike Hansen, in 2000. Ronson told Joe Rogan, My interpretation was that it was like some kind of Harvard club. Ronson seemed unimpressed by what he saw at Bohemian Grove, and confirmed the procedure of the cremation of care ceremony. Although Alex Jones, who witnessed the same cremation of care ceremony as Ronson, said that the ceremony could be a real sacrifice of a child. While this claim seems bombastic, an article in the Bold Italic features an eerie photo taken during a ceremony at the Grove in 1909. The black and white picture appears to show a small child strapped down to a wooden table, while smiling men gather around. From that same gathering, a disturbing photo of a body being lynched was taken. While speculation is the body is that of a mannequin, it is impossible to tell, as a large hat covers the figure's face and head. This is where, I'm telling you, if you're the local sheriff and they're like, hey, 
Remember that guy that, you know, used to work at the grocery store? Nobody's seen him since Bohemian Grove. Yeah, he got snatched up. Yeah. And they killed him in some kind of creepy sacrifice. And what are you going to do? You start poking around asking questions. Suddenly the FBI or the CIA or somebody's coming at. Now I sound like Alex Jones. <laughs> no, but the I mean, gonna come and like, get you. You, like we said, it's he's he's a loose cannon and by mm-hmm. all accounts, a crazy person. So and says horrifying. Things. Yes. And so what he says for most people goes in one ear and out the other. But that doesn't mean that there's not a kernel of truth in something mm-hmm. that maybe he said. And what kind of sucks about things like this is when someone like him is kind of the person that's like trying to point the finger and, and blow the mm-hmm. lid off of stuff and be a whistleblower when you got to get someone level headed that yes. people respect in there to mm-hmm. to do this work. Because then you get someone and everyone starts saying, oh, shit, this guy, th- this is right. We we got to look into this further. But nobody takes Alex Jones seriously. No, when he gets his fingers in the pie, it just gets it mucked up and everyone thinks it's, you know, lunacy. Yeah. But if you think about it, it's the same. Any news headline read by Alex Jones sounds like it's a lie, you know, just based mm-hmm. on his history. But I, I think may, po- possibly with this one, it's a broken clock situation where I don't think he's like called it and he knows better, but that he's got a lot of theories. And this is just one that happened to be kind of on the money. A crazy conspiracy theory I just came up with. What if this Go goes on. even deeper than we know? Alex Jones is a Grove member and <gasps> fake whistle blew on everything to turn the attention off of them because they knew if someone like Jones tries to say this is what's going on, no one's going to believe it. And then he's actually in on it because mm-hmm. he likes to sacrifice babies. Yeah. I just like to do an Alex Jones impression. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. Yeah. I did love, did you recently see him where he's like, I'm going to eat my neighbors. I will eat your ass. I will eat your ass. And he kept saying he's going to eat ass. It was so funny. I bet I he eats he ass meant, all like, the time. I think, yeah, I was going to say, I think he meant eat butt meat. But like the way he said it, he was like, I will eat your ass. It's <laughs> like, stop fucking saying Stop that. saying I'm going to eat your ass, Alex Jones. I think if you yell that at your neighbors a lot, that's like actually a threat. <laughs> yeah. Somebody should call the cops on him. <laughs> His poor neighbors. Ronson went on to tell Rogan that when he tried greeting Alex Jones at the Grove, Alex brushed him off, worried that there were cameras in the trees watching their every move. Ronson does concede that he was disturbed by how into the ceremony the people in the crowd were during the cremation of care, despite Ronson thinking it was fucking ridiculous. The experience inspired Ronson to write his book, The Men Who Stare at Goats, which explores the United States government and military's use of the paranormal. I do want to read this book. Yeah, I do and too. And I think they, they made it into a movie, but I never saw it. Yeah, I, I think I recognize the name of it. And that is why, because they made it into a movie. Clooney's in it. Yes. I yep. Mm-hmm. According to Mike Hansen, author and owner of BohemianGroveExposed.com, the camp is more than just a wealthy elite retreat. Hansen claims the club includes the super rich blood dynasty members of families of the Illuminati. He believes the fun retreat with no business allow is nothing more than a cover for the true evil that goes on there. In his book, Bohemian Grove, Cult of Conspiracy, Hansen writes, Conspiracy nuts think the Bohemian Club meets each summer to plot to take over the world? Get real. These guys already run the world. This book. Christy, this book. (laughs) He's contradicting himself. It's. Uh, I would not say that this is a logically written book. It makes it, it, uh, it's like somebody, 
told him you're only going to get, and I think it's self-published. I don't know. I could be wrong. It's available on Amazon. It's like 10 bucks uh, on Kindle. It's as if someone was like, it's basically his blog that he's made into a book. There's several intros from people that have nothing to do with it. There's a woman that's a Waco survivor. She's a Branch Davidian survivor. She's writing about her experience with the Branch Davidians, which is a harrowing, heartbreaking situation. Why the hell is it in this book yeah. about Bohemian Grove? He writes a whole deal about how he met Alex Jones. They met when they decided they were going to rebuild the Branch Davidians church in Waco. So they were there. Mike Hansen, Alex Jones, Is this Jones, a Branch Davidian Ronson. book or a Bohemian Grove book? That's what I couldn't figure out. I was like, did I download the wrong book? But I get it. it Maybe it because makes of a... cults. He's trying to tie in like this is a cult and that was a cult and there's common threads well, throughout. His his argument is that the Branch Davidians did nothing wrong and oh. that they were wronged by the government. And that's why he and Alex Jones went down to rebuild the church. And then John Ronson was a journalist and wanted to cover them rebuilding the church when they all three decided they were going to go infiltrate Bohemian Grove. And apparently Alex Jones and Mike Hansen just sort of w- like waited for someone to turn their head and they started walking behind a really elderly person and helping him walk up. And so the security recognized the other man and just assume that Alex Jones and Mike Hansen were with that guy and let them all in. That's pretty and smart, so, though. Yeah, they, they, they're, or is this all story all made up because Alex Jones is actually exactly. a Grover exactly. and is a member. So the different accounts, it's interesting because Alex Jones and Mike Hansen are like, we saw a literal satanic ritual with an actual killing. And John Ronson's like, oh, I saw one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in my life. Perception's so, reality. It's true. I mean, you, it's just like eyewitnesses. You could have two, yes. three people look at the same person and all describe them differently. So it's true. You see I what also, you want to see, too. Alex Jones is going in there thinking he's uncovering. He wants to see a satanic ritual. So, you know, you see it through that lens and your brain makes those conclusions and you kind of make something out of nothing, perhaps. Or there was an actual child being sacrificed. Which that might be the case, too. Could and be. John Ronson was just like, I don't know what's in that box. Who knows? But the back of the book, there's a whole numerology thing, which I screenshotted and sent to you. And you're like, what the hell is this? And why are you sending it to me? Because it's all about how the number 11 comes up with a bunch of stuff. Having it made to no do sense to me whatsoever. I was like, no. I don't understand what he's. I understand that he's saying the number 11 is significant, but he never explains why. You're Mm -mm. just left to draw your own conclusions, and my brain couldn't. I didn't understand what he was trying to say or tell me. I did read it dramatically aloud as a slam poem to Paris, and he thought it was very funny. And then he just went, wait, what was that? I said, it's in this book. And he's like, oh, no. It was a lot. A lot. Well, according to Hansen, stories have come out about war rooms on site where the wealthy and powerful handpick the next presidents. Then there are the stories of... Homosexual orgies, male and female prostitutes being engaged in what can only be described as extreme sexual games, young children being exploited in unspeakable ways, up to and including cold-blooded ritual murder. And again, if this is really going on... Shut it down. Of course, but who's going to? Yeah. You know? Nobody. uh, That's crazy. Hanson told the Gonzalez Inquirer, that he suspects the cremation of care was more sinister than others would have reported. Specifically, he believes it is devil worshiping and involves a real human sacrifice, asking rhetorically, But what I don't get is, if it's only fake, then why does it scream when it's being burned? He was also disturbed by the fact that during the ceremony, dozens of old men began peeing on other people's shoes. 
including Hansen's, despite the fact that there was a bathroom about 10 feet away. The peeing See, they is the crazy. Buckets. I don't get, <laughs> I don't understand the pee. The peeing is, I mean, everything I read and watched talks so much about the urination. It's, it's, uh, there's signage apparently on certain like foliage and plants that it would damage. And it says, no PP here, boys, keep moving. And some, one of the workers that worked there said that they were trying to drive uh, a truck of people down the, you know, from one part of the grove to the other. And there was a guy just walking and pissing in front of them. And they're like, could you move, man? There's one I mean, specific redwood that apparently is the president's pissing tree that all the presidents pee on. First of all, leave these trees alone. They've been there for hundreds of years. They're majestic. They're beautiful. Don't don't piss all over them. That's so disrespectful. Well, it's such a it's a territory marking thing of like you've been here a hundred years. Tree, we'll take that. Yeah. Also, Vanity Fair said it's also because they start drinking at seven a.m. and they're all elderly yes. and have prostate problems and they can't get to a bathroom because <laughs> they can't walk there fast enough. So they just whip their dick out wherever they are, just pee right there. Just pee wherever they want. Well, in the book Them, John Ronson, who also attended the same ceremony, sums up Bohemian Grove and the club. My lasting impression was of an all-pervading sense of immaturity. The Elvis impersonators, the pseudo-pagan spooky rituals, the heavy drinking. These people might have reached the apex of their professions, but emotionally, they seem trapped in their college years. I think this is a good point. I think these these men... They're just not funny people. You might have one funny person there, but for the most part, they're not funny people and they think they're all real funny. There's nothing more dangerous than a uh, elite or powerful white man who thinks he's funny and then isn't getting the re- audience response that he wants and he like lashes yeah. out. So this is like, you know what? He makes a joke in the boardroom. Everyone's like scoffing or annoyed and he's like, wait till I get to the grove. They'll laugh. They'll all laugh. <laughs> Yeah. This is like their one time a year. To to be the comedian that they have thought they were always born to be. Mm-hmm. Well, an actual proved illegal practice occurring at the Grove is that of illegally logging the beautiful Douglas fir trees and majestic natural redwoods located on the property. While some of the trees are not protective and can be removed, state laws prevent the destruction of others. When former Grove member John C. Hooper saw towering redwoods marked for logging that were illegal to cut, and hiking trails turned into paths for logging equipment. He contacted his former college classmate, Vanity Fair contributing editor Alex Shomatov. Shomatov, intrigued and baffled, decided to look into it. Why would men of this wealth need the small amount of money garnered from logging? Shomatov snuck onto the Grove property to get a look for himself and to try and witness the infamous cremation of care ceremony. Unfortunately, he was arrested for trespassing before he could uncover much. However, he later discovered copies of IRS statements showed the club had been operating in the red, reporting gross losses of $600,000 in 2005 and $290,000 in 2006. Shomatov concluded one motive for chopping down the trees was to keep the club up and running, although wondered why they didn't just increase membership fees if this was the case. They're like, guys, we have to cut the budget of the jinx. And they're like, not the jinx. Don't cut my Cut jinx. down those trees before you cut the budgets. And this is like the article that this man wrote is lengthy. It's so extensive. It was a bit exhausting to where I had to just start scanning through. I'm like, all right, let's get to something here because 
It's he is the Lorax of Vanity Fair. I mean, he <laughs> speaks for the trees at length. Yes, as does uh, they. He calls him Jock, but John C. Hooper, his former Harvard classmate, he is. Um, He's like a fourth generation Grover and loved it. His grandfather took him there when he was a boy and stuff, and he kind of grew up around it. But that also instilled in him the love for nature and these trees. And he eventually like became a farmer and he was kind of a hippie and was on all these boards of like preservation and conservation of the redwoods. So when he saw this was going on, he kind of lost his mind. And mm-hmm. started writing all these letters to the the board members and everybody in charge. And they basically were like, go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. And told him, this is very unbohemian, which is like the worst thing you can be called, apparently. No. And he, but he just kept, he kind of dug in and everything. And people would kind of get him paperwork that showed like, yeah, they're not, they're doing this illegally. And when the encampments aren't going on, there's just trucks coming in and out of here. With Mm -hmm. logs and everything. It's all just, like you said, a symbol of power. But these trees are... I I am very much pro-tree. And these trees are gorgeous, beautiful things that have been there for hundreds of years. Like, Mm -hmm. they deserve to be there much more than you. And you wouldn't even have this beautiful setting and surrounding if it weren't for them. And now you're just taking advantage of them and trying to do whatever you want. I'll chain myself to a goddamn tree before these guys can, (laughs) can take it down. Well, and it's not just a tree. It's like a whole ecosystem. Yeah. You know, there's birds and squirrels and everything that lives in those trees. And it is, it's, it's a, the cost benefit is like, well, why don't we all just pay an extra five grand a year or something versus fuck it, cut the trees down. Yeah. It's like, because you, why do you cut them down? Well, because you can. Mm-hmm. Because but you then, can is the, is the motto of most of these men too. But then you cut all the trees down. Where are you going to piss? They're mm, like, cut every true. tree except for the presidential pissing stump. <laughs> don't, don't cut that. Well, eventually, after an extensive investigation by the proper authorities, the club's 100-year logging permit was revoked, preventing the removal of any trees from the 2,700-acre property. Perhaps the most concerning things about Bohemian Grove, aside from the possible, yet not so probable, human sacrifice, is the mainline access that it gives corporate bigwigs to important political decision-makers. When the CEO of a major manufacturer and a president and his cabinet members are frolicking around together for a weekend, what effect will that have on policymaking? I think this is the number one danger of this place. Yep. Professor G. William Domhoff has studied what he calls small group dynamics and the effects of those connections made at Bohemian Grove on large-scale policymaking. The crux of his research shows the people who meet in relaxed settings and see their group as exclusive become even tighter with each other than people in ordinary groups. Even better, people in exclusive groups are more likely to listen to each other and come to a compromise if they have the task of figuring out what to do about some policy issue. This is basically the biggest team building event one can have for the for yes. the the biggest decisions one can make. Well, and then you say, well, what team are you on? You know, it's not mm-hmm. like, oh, it's a president and his cabinet members or it's a CEO and his executives. They're all going out. It's a president and his CEO are going out. So then you become your own secret team that doesn't necessarily benefit the rest of us. Everybody's in bed together. Literally. <laughs> yep. For instance, when Ronald Reagan attended camp, those who joined him in his smaller camp included the chairman or presidents of United Airlines, United California Bank, Dean Witter Reynolds & Co., and Poly Petroleum. George H.W. Bush, meanwhile, would be rubbing elbows with officers and directors from Procter & Gamble, 
General Motors, Southern Pacific, Westinghouse Electric, BF Goodrich, and Mutual Life Insurance of New York. So, you know, you're watching TV, you're watching CNN, CNBC, and they're like, the government's going to bail out blah, blah, blah company. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. You're like, they're buddies. Because they the all pissed and- on the same tree together when they were really yeah. drunk. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As much as they claim no real world stuff would go on here, I would argue more deals and closed door meetings happen during these encampments than they do at any other time during the year. This is the or place even- where where this happens. And even if they don't outwardly say, hey, Jack, how's business at United Airlines? They're bonding super close, which mm-hmm. we'll kind of get into the psychology of it. So then when it comes to it and you have to cut something for company A or company B, you're going to save the one that your friend works at, Absolutely. that you bonded with the guy. I mean, that's just business Human. and humanity on any level. But then when you take it to like, these are the people that affect that are policymakers that affect everyone's lives and it's this trickle-down effect, then it becomes problematic. My grandma used to say, it's not what you know, it's who you know. That's true. Would these connections go on to serve the companies? Professor Domhoff thinks so. He points to four factors of group dynamics that would likely affect the government's treatment of big business after a two-week retreat like the Bohemian Grove. One, physical proximity is likely to lead to group solidarity. Two, the more people interact, the more they come to like each other. Three, groups seen as high in status are more cohesive, as members believe they are special people among other special people. And four, the best atmosphere for increasing group cohesiveness is one that is relaxed and cooperative, which fosters interpersonal trust. Because you get there and you tell them, we're all going to stay in the cabin together, so we're physically close. We're all going to spend two weeks together with no outsiders. Yep. and nobody can get in you wait 15 years to get in this club and you have to have people vouch for you and then no business is going to get done here it's all friendly that is a powder keg of insider dealing absolutely you've just created someone whose loyalties are not to the constituents or to their voters it is to their buddies Mm -hmm. and you see in bills where you're like i voted for this guy and he said he really cared about me and wait a minute instead when he could have whatever done something to increase insurance coverage or do something that would hurt an insurance company, why wouldn't they have done that? Well, because the CEO of Mutual Life Insurance is hanging out with them at this retreat. Yep. I mean, you can just trace it back. The most destructive thing about Bohemian Grove may not be the alleged devil-worshipping or troublesome ceremonies. It is the elite relationships the camp reinforces that influence politicians to make decisions, not in the interest of their constituents, but choices that help out their fellow campers. I mean, you just ask yourself who's benefiting here, and it's the people with the money. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, just uh, all the time. Oh, that's true. I think. I think <laughs> rarely do I ever, as much as I want to look at a candidate or, or running or even the candidates I've loved the most. That say, like, we're for the people and, oh, they're going to do all these things for us. At the end of the day, no, they're not. Like, everyone follows the money. That's how you get elected is you say what the people want to hear and everything. But you have someone even like Bernie that goes to Bohemian Grove. And I I have no uh, insider knowledge that Bernie has been allowed Bohemian Uh, Grove. While he is very Bohemian, I don't think he would have been invited. I think he he has a different Bohemian Grove. Yeah. 
I say if if you Bernie shows up at Bohemian Grove, he probably slapped the shit out of some of these CEOs. Yeah, and that's another. But he thing. would play the ukulele. <laughs> All of the people here are extremely conservative and Republican. So you have. A hundred some odd people spending 16 days together, they all share the same political views and everything. I mean, it would be destructive regardless what their political affiliation is because they're all – it becomes an echo chamber. There's no one there to balance anything out or provide the – the flip side of an argument or anything like that. They're all just blowing smoke up each other's asses and, I mean, it's like when uh, we talk about how if you – if with comedians you get in this echo chamber of of everyone telling you all the stuff you're doing is great and you're like mm-hmm. just because they're they're great comedians doesn't mean they can't suck every now and then you got to have yeah. somebody else in the grove that is like a voice of reason that is i don't even want to say playing devil's advocate but literally on the other side of things so it can but again they're not there to do work they're there to just play and i guess you don't Correct. play with people that don't usually have the same values and beliefs that you do yeah they're not inviting those people to the party so here's what see we need a an actual bohemian grove Mm -hmm. that's just like liberal as fuck and (laughs) and that's and then then we make those two meet up and have a playoff it's right it's like a steal the flag (laughs) but it's all just plays it's follies to see who's the funniest (laughs) i like it they have to do improv in mixed groups together oh wow each club but i think that's the problem though is that it's not an a it's not a mixed group it's all people with the homogenized thought processes and belief systems and then also they're doing really stupid, embarrassing things, whether dressing up like a stupid character or doing a dumb voice. Who knows if they do offensive costumes or make off-color jokes? And then that's been heard by all these people. So what are you going to turn on them and be like, well, but sorry, Bob, we're not going to bail out your company. And it's like, well, I really saw you do a lot of stuff. And if not just the, the follies, maybe they're having some kind of sex acts with each other or with the children or with uh, somebody that works at the camp and you start to feel like you're pretty loose, right? They're saying it's a relaxed environment. So it fosters all this trust. Well, the one thing about trust is that somebody this sounds so cynical, but that's something that you've just given ammunition to someone yeah. who when they want something from you, they have something on you. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's a ton of drug use. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, a lot of nefarious activities that go on here. And uh, all it takes is just sort of an inkling that somebody's going to leak that. Mm-hmm. And then you got somebody in your back pocket. I wonder how they photos. Pol- I'm sure they're taking photos and shit. That's You're what I was going to say, how they police that if they make you leave your phone somewhere. I read that you can only take photos at your camp. Mm hmm. Because someone that had infiltrated the camp, that's kind of how they were caught, is they were, like, taking pictures of places that they weren't supposed to be. Mm. But I'm sure that they still – yeah, I don't – I never saw anything about how they, like, confiscate phones or anything like that. You know they've got to have tons of pictures. It's all in their iClouds. we got to mm-hmm. hack the iCloud. So what do we think? Well, I think they're not just blowing smoke up each other's asses. There's- what do you think's going on? What do you think's the the uh, – most sinister thing that's going on there? Oh, that's a good question. I think there probably is some uh, untoward sexual things. Like, mm-hmm. I think there's, uh, whether it isn't children, you know, if it is sex workers, like, you know, anything that a person that is of a lower power status, which here is everybody, because these are like the top, top people, 
are just in danger of being exploited. The workers, I mean, mm-hmm. Sophie Weiner said in her, which her Gawker article, I highly recommend it's the quotes from people are just funny in general, but it, it sounds like it's just like an exploitive kind of hourly job. So those people are being exploited on a small scale, but then just imagine and extrapolate if it's someone that's even more vulnerable, like a child or somebody else that's maybe being sexually exploited. It's there's uh what does the guy say? There's like, what is Jafar where he's like unlimited power and like no limits. It's they're like Jafar when they become, when he becomes the genie at the end of the Oh Aladdin. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what you want, but that's what's happening. No, but yeah, I definitely think uh, that that kind of stuff goes on there. That wouldn't surprise me one little bit. I mean, you get a ton of drunk, rowdy men that just want to party together for 16 days, regardless of, of who they are, some shit's going to go down. But then you get like the most powerful men in the world there that can do whatever they want and there's no consequences. I mean, my God, we probably can't even think of some of the stuff that goes on there and wouldn't want to. Yeah. And when they decide, okay, who's going to be president? You know, they say, okay, well, George W., it's 2001. Now it's your chance to be president. And then he goes, well, I wonder who I'm going to have work for me. Well, I don't know. How about Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld and Carl Rove and everybody that already worked for previous administrations that are your buddies that stay in the cabin with you? Yep, exactly. Everybody's I mean, they're all campaigning. It's like this um, campaign, non-campaign thing Mm -hmm. where you're basically just on vacation. I mean, you know, when you go on vacation with your friends, you come back and you're all bonded and you're closer than you were before. You have Mm -hmm. inside jokes and stories to share and everything. Now just uh, magnify that times a million. Mm-hmm. And these guys are, yeah, they're all just helping each other out, doing whatever they can to get richer, keep the rich rich. The 100% that they're just making each other more, you know, more money. But it's the idea is that they're supposed to represent the people. They're supposed to represent us and our thoughts. And if somebody, you know, I think it's uh, pretty obvious you and I are liberal as hell. But if you're a conservative person... You should care that the people that are representing you don't give a shit about you and are literally listening to their friends rather than you. Yep. In in a lot of cases. I think maybe in a local level, not as much. But when you start to get to the federal level, like, this is a sh- place that Ted Cruz would hang out with. He doesn't give a shit about you personally. He cares oh, about Oh, Ted the- Cruz loves Bohemian Grove. Yeah. If he can get an invite, nobody yeah. wants him there, probably. No, even they probably don't. Not. But if he did, he <laughs> they were would like, be... Um, we're not going to invite Ted Cruz to California where he's already committed so many murders. <laughs> There's literally... <laughs> it becomes a literal sleepaway camp. Back to camp. his old stomping ground. Yeah, it's his old stomping Yeah, sleeping, sleepaway camp's the main place where murders take place. We're like, we're not inviting a serial killer to sleepaway camp, Ted. Also, he probably tried to infiltrate a schedule of how, <laughs> when everybody could blow dry their hair. And they're like, fuck <laughs> this guy. He's not allowed back. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I have to comb down my new haircut. <laughs> well, let us know what you guys think. If you're from this area, let us know if you've ever seen any kind of weird stuff going on. Or, or know anybody that's worked there. Yeah, yeah. Or perhaps been there. Maybe you've even been there yourself. We'd love to hear some stories about that. If you're a that. former president who's been to Bohemian Grove <laughs> and you listen to the podcast, please DM us. Uh we're talking to you, Bush. That's we right. know that you live in Texas. We're sure that you're a fan of the show. We know W listens. Please <laughs> email us. <laughs> well, we love providing Sinisterhood to you at no cost. So if you like what you hear, consider supporting the show by donating to our Patreon. We are a small operation, creating the show for you by researching, writing, and recording and producing it ourselves. Any amount is sincerely appreciated and helps offset the costs of making and hosting the show. 
As a thank you, you'll also get some sweet perks like a Sinisterhood sticker, membership to our exclusive Patreon Facebook group for those in the Ruling the Airwaves tier, a special shout-out on the show, a monthly bonus mini-sode, and Patreon-exclusive video and audio content, like our weekly mix bags where we share three of our favorite things of the week. For more details on specific membership tiers, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on Patreon in the top right corner to join today. And make sure you stick around after our sign-offs to hear your shout-out. So many of you have been tagging us in pictures of you sporting your sweet Sinisterhood merch. Keep those pictures coming. And if you want some cool Sinisterhood swag like t-shirts, mugs, totes, and even clothes for your kiddos, visit Sinisterhood.com and click on shop in the top right corner. The best thing you can do to help us grow is like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please tell a friend who you think would like us to check us out. It means so much to us and really helps small podcasts like us get more exposure. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sinisterhood Pod and like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Christy? I am I am on Twitter at Christy or GTFO and on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace. Heather? I am on Instagram at Heather vs. the World and on Twitter at MCK versus the World. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for supporting the show on Patreon. Here are your special Patreon shoutouts. Sonia Cote. Amanda Little. Amy Fell, Brandon Heavey, Chrislyn Beavers, Sarah Horn, Connie McCall, Kelly Cosgrove, Michelle Lockwood, Kristen, Brennan, Victoria Dolphin, Ellie Rainbow, Maddie Raidmaker, Kim Fulkerson, Jessica Bennett, Selene Clausen, Monica Gerard, Debbie Van Franken, Lauren Bickett, Becky, Whitney, Dakota Culver. Thank you guys so much for supporting the show. We appreciate you so much. We couldn't do this without you. Stay safe, healthy, and keep it creepy. Wahaha. Sinister. Food.